thankful that you always make a way that uh, when, no matter what the circumstances are, when our backs are against the wall, when everything seems against us, you are able to make a way. You make that way for our good and for your glory. And, and we pray today that as we open up your word and look at what you've written for us to hear and to understand, that we would see a bigger picture of this God who makes a way for us, even during times of difficulty and even during times of persecution and insult. So we pray that again, you would speak to us from your word through your spirit and change us into the image of Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can take your seat and find your Bible and open it up, or if you're using electronic Bible, turn that thing on and find your way to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to be looking at verses 10 through 12. We are today wrapping up our series that I've titled Hashtag Blessed, our series through the Beatitudes where Jesus shares with us some qualities that mark a truly blessed life. Our blessings are certainly external. Our family is a blessing, or at least some of our family is a blessing, right? We've all got the weird uncle that we just wish was in someone else's family. <laughs> our families are blessings. Uh, having a roof over our heads is a blessing. Uh, there's nothing wrong with clinging to the blessing of, of God giving us a job or a promotion in that job. Those are our external blessings for which we should give thanks. But the blessings of God, although they can be external, they are not exclusively external. In the Beatitudes, Jesus has been revealing to us that experiencing a blessed life is just as much about who you are in relationship with Jesus as what you have. Furthermore, these Beatitudes reveal to us the characteristics that followers of Jesus will seek to embrace in their lives. The Beatitudes, it's easy to remember, the Beatitudes are attitudes that we are to be, the Beatitudes. They're qualities we should seek to have in our lives. In fact, the, the whole purpose of the Beatitudes, as is the purpose of the Sermon on the Mount, which the Beatitudes open up for us, is to show us how we, as followers of Jesus, should live as citizens of his kingdom. The final Beatitude, uh, the final quality of a Hashtag blessed life is just as unusual and odd as the previous ones. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. Right, don't you read that and go, pfft. <laughs> Rejoice and be glad that you're persecuted. Rejoice and be glad when people utter all kinds of evil against you. Rejoice and be glad when others revile you. For your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, I've pastored people 
for about 27 years and, and over pastoring people for almost three decades, I've discovered that most followers of Jesus fall into one of two categories when it comes to the concept of persecution. There are some people who would think that the slightest inconvenience in their lives is an act of persecution. For example, a couple of years ago, the IRS, I know that's almost a dirty word, uh, the IRS started talking about possibly removing a housing allowance for ministers. And pastors all in the Twitter world were like, this is persecution. They're coming after us. They're just trying to get our money. That's all they're doing. That's what the government does anyway, right? Okay, uh, the rest of you hadn't paid taxes apparently. Or, or, or someone asks you to, to, to wear a mask at the height of the pandemic. That's not persecution. That's inconvenience. On the other end of the spectrum, and I, I for a long time was kind of close to this end of the spectrum, that there are some people whose only concept of persecution involves the, the, the loss of life or limb or liberty because of one's devotion to Jesus. And, and we certainly acknowledge the reality of this, this type of persecution, but it doesn't mean that we're unable to identify with what Jesus is saying in this beatitude. So if you are at either end of that spectrum this morning, I want to ask you just to hang with me for a few minutes because I believe that the words of Jesus will help us in the words of the great theologian duo Diamond Rio help us meet in the middle neath an old Georgia pine okay now if you don't know who Diamond Rio is kids those are people who sang country music when it was really country music okay <laughs> I think that Jesus will help us understand where this really plays out in our lives. So let's just break down the words of Jesus by making three statements this morning. Statement one that we'll make and think about is this, the reality of persecution. The reality of persecution. Do these verses have anything to do with me? Do these verses have anything to do with my life? Is this beatitude for me? Are, are you on that, that end of the spectrum to where you're kind of like, you know what? I have no concept of what persecution is. We, we live in the land of the free, the home of the brave. We, we are guaranteed life and liberty, the pursuit of happiness. So does this beatitude really belong to me? Well, according to Scripture, Scripture bears out the truth that followers of Jesus should expect in some way, <clears throat> some shape, some form, some fashion to experience persecution. Let me repeat that. Followers of Jesus, this is not my opinion, this is scripture, should expect in some way, shape, form, or fashion to experience some kind of persecution. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, he said, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Not might be or could be, but there will be this element for those who seek to live a life that glorifies and honors Jesus Christ. Using a couple of people from the Old Testament to illustrate the friction between the world and the kingdom of God, Paul said this in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 9. He said, but just as at that time in the Old Testament, he who was born or 
according to the flesh, persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. The flesh, the world, will always be at odds with the Spirit and those who possess the Spirit and those who seek to live by the Spirit. But if those words don't captivate you, take the words of Jesus himself. The words when he spoke them, they must have been spoken in red because they're in red in your Bible. The very words of Jesus in John 15, 20, where he simply says, look, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. You see, when the world runs into Christianity, there is always conflict, there is always conviction, there's always resentment, there's always persecution. See, verses 10 and 11 teach us that followers of Jesus should expect persecution because of the life that they live and because of the Lord that they love. Verse 10, if you go back and look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, it tells us that persecution comes because of righteousness. And verse 11 tells us that persecution comes because of a person's devotion to Jesus. To be righteous simply means to be like Jesus for one reason or another. There are some people in the world who are so upset at Jesus that they take it out on those who love him and who seek to live like him. Let me give you an example. You're trying to be like Jesus at your job, and you're asked to make a compromise that a follower of Jesus would not make. And you're told that if you don't make this compromise, you'll be passed over for the next promotion or you'll lose your job altogether. That is persecution for the sake of righteousness and the love of Jesus. And there's testimony of that in this room this morning. There are people who have lived that. That's what Jesus is talking about as he explains to us that we will experience some type of, of persecution. And in, in explaining this reality, Jesus actually helps us understand how his people will experience that. If you look back at verse 11, he mentions that, that, that there are three types of persecution someone can experience. He says in verse 11, 1, that persecution can involve being mocked for your excuse me, your devotion to Jesus. He says in verse 11, when others revile you, that word revile, it means to insult, to chide, to taunt. When someone degrades your reputation by seeking to slander you and insult you unfairly and unjustly, that is persecution and that is happening in our culture. That is happening in our context. Every day there are followers of Jesus who are verbally slandered, they're mocked, they're made fun of, they are, are ridiculed. It can involve being mocked for your devotion to Jesus. Number two, <coughs> persecution can involve being physically assaulted for your worship of Jesus. This is the one we always think of, right? 
right, when we think about persecution. And it's certainly one of the types that can take place. Jesus said in verse 11, blessed are you when others persecute you. That word persecute means to pursue with a hostile intent, to be hunted down like an animal. This is the type of persecution with which you and I aren't that familiar, but that happens around the world every single day as we gather on our padded pews in our air-conditioned building. As some of us, and I'm preaching to the choir being here, I know, but as some of us just made the choice this morning that it was wasn't that convenient for us to get up and and go to church. While we're doing that, there are brothers and sisters of ours in Christ around the world who are meeting underground, who are hiding as they gather to worship, because if they're found out, they will literally lose their life. And you and I, as members of the global family of God's kingdom, we're called to share their burdens as they're being hunted down today. In fact, let's just stop and pray for those brothers and sisters right now. Father God, we're, we're thankful today that we're able to gather here, and this aspect of persecution is not one that, that impacts us living in this free land, but that doesn't mean it doesn't impact others that are in the body of Christ. And, and, and I'm thinking today about those believers of yours, those leaders, those pastors who, who are trying to leave their churches in secret. They're underground. They're in places that, where it's illegal to own a Bible and to declare the name of Jesus. And yet their devotion for you is so intense, they are literally willing to lose their life. Would you bless them today? We, we can't be there to, to help them, but we can pray pray for them. Would you bless them today? Would you bless their efforts today? Would you keep them safe? And would you show their enemies that the power of the gospel cannot be stopped? You may stop a person of God, but you will never stop the people of God and the spread of the gospel. Bless them today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So our persecution can involve being mocked for our devotion to Jesus. It can involve being physically assaulted for your worship of Jesus. But persecution can, can also involve being verbally abused as you follow Jesus. He said, blessed are, are, are you when others utter all kinds of evil against you <coughs> falsely. And you don't have to answer out loud. It's one of the few times I, I'll just ask a question for you to think about. Have you ever been on the receiving end of someone saying something false and hurtful about you because of your desire to honor Jesus? That hurts, doesn't it? When someone speaks that falsely about you, I would never share the content of the messages or, well, one, because the, the language issue, but uh, you should hear some of the messages that are left at our church office of people who are just mad at life and, and they're mad at God and God's not there to take it out on so they, they take it out on the church of God and, and say all kinds of evil against you falsely. When you have a pure motive to help people but the people you're trying to help are convinced you're doing what you're doing for you and for your glory, that hurts. And Jesus says that's a kind of persecution. Do you see my, my purpose in this first point is to help you see the reality of persecution? Are you beginning to sense that the people of God should expect to experience it? If you follow Jesus, you should expect to experience what Jesus experienced. 
And he knew all too well the reality of persecution. That's the first statement. Here's the second statement. What about the reward of persecution? We've got the reality. Let's look at the reward of persecution. Now you hear those two words, reward and persecution, and they don't sound like they would mesh, yet Jesus clearly said that the person who is persecuted for righteousness is blessed. Look at what he said in verse 10. The reward in verse 10, for theirs, those who are persecuted, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In verse 12 he said, for your reward is great in heaven. And did you notice that odd command to rejoice as you're persecuted? When people say all kinds of things against you falsely, rejoice. I don't want to rejoice, I want to react. I want to react by pop, pop, right? Don't look at me like that, you the same way that I am. When, when, When people say those things that aren't true when, when they misinterpret our, mo- our, our reaction is to get back. It's revenge, not rejoice. And yet Jesus says there's no room for revenge. We <clears throat> have to rejoice. He commands us to rejoice because of the reward that awaits those who are persecuted. Here's the neat thing about this reward. This reward is both now and later. It is both here and there. It is both present and future. The kingdom of heaven on earth is the gift of being persecuted on earth. But the great reward that awaits those who are persecuted isn't found on this side of eternity. It is found in heaven. You see, the promise that Jesus gives us is the kingdom of heaven. Did you know if you go back and look at the first beatitude, guess what the promise, the promise is the kingdom of heaven. Guess what the promise of the first beatitude is? I just gave you the answer. (laughs) The promise of the first beatitude is the kingdom of heaven. Guess what the promise is of the first beatitude? You'll say, I can do this for hours, okay? (laughs) The promise of the first beatitude is the kingdom of heaven. The promise of the last beatitude is the kingdom of heaven. The major promise of the beatitudes is that you become a kingdom citizen now and forever, and the features in between are elements of kingdom life. No matter what the world does, it can never affect your possession of the kingdom of God now and forevermore. For that reason, Jesus said, rejoice. Paul put it like this in Romans chapter 8 and verse 18. He said, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time, and he knew what it was like to be persecuted. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Our minds may not be able to comprehend it, but by faith I choose to believe it, that any loss I have here on this this earth cannot be compared with what I will gain in God's eternal kingdom. The call to rejoice in this beatitude is not to rejoice in the fact that you're being persecuted, but to rejoice in the reward that God (coughs) has promised to those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness and for the glory of his name. So we've got the reality of persecution. 
It's going to happen in some way, shape, form, or fashion. Then we've got our uh, reward that is promised to us in persecution. But now I want to share with you thirdly the reaction to persecution. Our reaction to this. How do we put this beatitude into practice? What does it mean to lay hold of it and to claim it and to live it? Hopefully, I, I hope that we've come to realize that we're going to experience some kind of persecution in some level, in some way. Look, we're not going to walk out the church today, <coughs> out this building, and face a firing squad from our government <coughs> and be asked to reject Jesus or die. That's not going to happen today. Nor is it going to happen next week. Okay, we are a long way off from that kind of persecution. Yet we also know that our culture has no desire to follow Jesus. And our culture, regardless of who sits in a White House, our culture will increasingly become hostile to those who follow Jesus and will consistently seek to make life difficult for those who have a desire to follow Jesus. So how should we react when things like this begin to happen. How should we react when we feel the effects of, of persecution? What should we do? A couple of things real quick. Number one, we are called to have conviction. We are called to have conviction. Look, <clears throat> the reality of persecution should not cause us to abandon our convictions about God, about His Word, about the truth that He was revealed, that He has revealed. We must remind ourselves that though we are in this world, we are no longer of this world. And that when Jesus saved us, he changed us. He has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Look, make sure your convictions are biblical. Because you can have some that aren't that biblical. Make sure your convictions are biblical. But once you have a biblical conviction, cling to that. We are called to conviction. But we are also called to have compassion. We are called to have compassion. In what we say, in what we tweet, in what we update our social media posts to say, in what we say to our neighbor as a prayer request. <laughs> I know how those goes. We are called to have compassion. Now look, I'm not suggesting that we sit back and let the world act like the world without trying to influence the world. I'm going to talk about that next. But we, we, we need to expect the world to act like the world. We need to expect unrepentant sinners to act like unrepentant sinners. We need, to act, we need to expect people who don't know Jesus to act like they don't know Jesus. And our tendency, I'll speak for myself, my tendency when experiencing some type of persecution is to defend myself, to defend my position at all costs, and to make sure everyone knows I'm the good guy and the one who opposes me is part of the bad team. <laughs> However, if you hear nothing else, would you hear this this morning and then would you practice it? It is not my job to condemn the world. It's my job to have compassion for those in the world. It is not my job. Again, I'm not saying you don't stand for truth. I'm not saying any of that. What I'm saying is it's not my job to write off this world, this culture. 
even though I know it's, it's going to be burned up, even though I know that it's going to be destroyed and God will make a new heaven, I know all that. But my job is not to usher that judgment into existence. I'm going to let Jesus be the judge. He's a lot better. You ever notice that when you've judged, you ever judge someone wrongly? If you have, raise your hand. Okay, the rest of you lying through your teeth right now. Guarantee you're lying. You're a liar. <laughs> and all liars had a part in Lake of Fire, my mama used to tell me. When we judge people, we oftentimes misjudge them. Let's leave that to God. Our job is not to condemn people in this world. Our job is to have compassion for people in this world. Even those who would seek to malign us, insult us, or speak falsely about us. So we're called to have convictions. We're called to have compassion. We are called to have the character of Christ. Immediately after Jesus issues this beatitude of persecution, in Matthew chapter 5, if you've got your Bibles open or still on, it'll be on the screen as well. Look at what he says immediately after he talks about persecution. He says in Matthew 5, 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a stand. It gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. When we face any kind of persecution, and even when we don't, it's always a good time to let our light shine. But especially as we face this kind of persecution that Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 5, it is among the most opportune times to show Jesus by you and I being salt and light, influencing our culture with Jesus. I grew up in the sticks of South Arkansas. and I grew up in a very, very small country church that my daddy pastored. Longer than, than, than I can remember. He was there before I, I got there. He was, he was passionate for almost 40 years. And my mama played the piano for 70 years at that church. And my grandfather led the music uh, for, until I was uh, 13 when he passed away. But what we used to say, every now and then we'd sing. We had two hymn books, Heavenly Highway Hymnals and the favorite song. Or as my grandpa said, the black book and the blue book. That was what he said. You get the black book out, we're going to sing. And there was a hymn every now and then that we would sing. I don't, I'm not going to sing it. <laughs> You've hung here this long. <laughs> no, I don't want to force you out. But the song had a lyric in verse 1 that went like this. Let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. All his wonderful passion and purity. O oh, thou spirit divine, all my nature refine. Till the beauty of Jesus is seen in me. And there's a third one. We always skipped the, at the church I grew up in. There were three songs that we sang every verse. Just as I am, Amazing Grace, and one other that escapes me at the moment. But every other song was first, second, and last. And sometimes you need to hashtag the third verse. The third verse is pretty good. The third verse, that old hymn says this. When somebody has been so unkind to you. 
some word spoken that pierces you through and through. Think how he was beguiled, spat upon and reviled. Let the beauty of Jesus be seen in you. You see, we are all messes. There is no beauty about us, but there is beauty about our Jesus and our Lord. And our task is not to show the world our beauty because we ain't got none to show it. Our task is to let the beauty of Jesus be seen in us, be seen through us. Jesus has told us that we should expect holy harassment. The enemy would love to use that in your life today to discourage you and to silence you. Jesus would remind us that there is a reward for those who are persecuted and we can react in a way that honors and glorifies him. But us reacting in that way It won't just happen. We have to be prepared. We can't live out this beatitude. We can't live out any beatitude by being reactive to whatever happens in our lives. We must be proactive and make the decision today to let our light shine. If you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, my only ask of you is to ask that old hymn, would you make a commitment today to let Jesus be seen in you? Even when unkind words are spoken to you, even when you're in a situation that you're mocked for your faith, even when someone ridicules you for believing that this book is truth, Would you just let the beauty of Jesus be seen through you? Not your ugliness of sin, but the beauty of Jesus. For he is glorious. And he is beautiful. If you're here today and you've never placed faith in Jesus, would you consider surrendering your sin, the mess of your life? Say, Pastor, I'm not a big rebel. If you're a sinner, you got a mess. And all of us are sinners. But the thing about Jesus, and there are many things about him, one of the things about Jesus is that he takes messes and he makes masterpieces. For by grace are you saved through faith. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship. We are God's masterpiece. Created in Christ just to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us. If there's never been a time that you've surrendered your life to Jesus, would you in this moment as I pray, simply as best as you know how, confess your sin to God, repent of that sin, and ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. After I pray, when we stand and sing, this altar is open. You can make commitments in this altar. You can make commitments at the pew where you're sitting. That's fine too. But if you need to do some business with God, you feel free to come use this space to pray. To make a commitment to let the beauty of Jesus be seen through you. To repent, as I need to do quite often, of letting Jonathan show through instead of Jesus. 
whatever God's calling you to do today, would you just place your yes on the table? Father, I thank you that Jesus came into this world to clean up the mess that our sin has made. And Father, following Jesus is certainly something that is worth our very lives. Sometimes we will encounter difficulties. We will encounter the persecutions that Jesus has talked about. It becomes easy to just convince ourselves to stay silent. Maybe when we face resistance for when people know our beliefs that we decide to just try to live a private Christian life, but there's no such thing. You've called us to follow you. And following you means, in part, identifying with you. Lord, I pray that you would place a conviction upon the hearts that need that conviction to make a fresh commitment today to let the beauty of Jesus be seen in us. So that when the world looks at us, yes, they'll see that we have sin and faults. They'll see our hypocrisy but they will see even clearer the beauty of Jesus in us as we are salt and light. Whatever you're calling us to do today, help us to say yes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's